And for the rest of us, we can rise as we are able for the reading of God's word. Today we are reading from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me to your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. For who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with that violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gretchen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come uh, to you this morning, and we ask that you would take your word and you would speak to us. We ask that you would speak to every single person here, God. Whether we feel close to you or far from you, whether we have faith in Jesus, or or just not sure what we believe, we ask that you would meet us, God. 
Meet every single person here in the places we find ourselves. Show us, show us Jesus and his grace and change us by it for our good and for the good of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. On the, uh, on the final day of fourth grade, I made a foolish mistake. We were having a, an end of the school year field day, and the festivities were, were ending in our gym. And as I sat with my friends, I, uh, I made a gesture that I had just learned. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't bear repeating here, but uh, I was told that it was a, a curse word in sign language. I wanted to make my friends laugh, so I just made it over and over and over again. I was just like milking this thing for all it was worth. And as you might be able to guess, a teacher saw me. She walked straight over to me, and she said, I saw what you did, and you are in major trouble. <laughs> and I kid you not, at that moment, it was ding, ding, and it was the end of the school day. In fact, it was the end of the school year. I was like, I couldn't have made that up myself. Like, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how <laughs> the timing of that worked out so beautifully. Saved by the bell. But not really. I, uh, I actually spent the rest of that summer worrying. I spent the next two and a half months just like turning that event over and over in my mind. I would go to bed ruminating about it, and I would just wake up <laughs> terrified. I was consumed with fear that, you know, although I had escaped punishment in that moment, that yet on the first day of fifth grade, it was coming for me, man. <laughs> I could just picture it all, right? First day of fifth grade, all the teachers are lined up just like scanning for a little red-headed boy. <laughs> the teacher, the principal standing behind the teacher just like ready to take me into the principal's office. And uh, it's mildly comical now, mostly because nothing like that ever happened. I ended up at a completely different school for fifth grade. Uh, but what I felt that summer, you know, the agony of having done something wrong, and the impending punishment, it just gnawed at me constantly. And I don't doubt that, that some of you here know that feeling too. You know, you, you might not have salted away your precious summer vacation, but maybe you, you notice a similar tendency in yourself. How, how do you respond when you find yourself in a distressing situation? What do you do when you've blown it? Or even, even more broadly, where do you turn when life gets hard? In Psalm 25, David finds himself in a pretty tough spot. And we don't know the exact occasion of this psalm, but, but he says things like, I am lonely and afflicted. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. And the troubles of my heart are enlarged. And what's remarkable is that for all the ways that those statements point to a painful moment in David's life, yet this psalm is brimming with hope. David, David shows us a better way. A better way to deal with the realities of living in a broken world. He, he shows us how to live in hope. You and I don't, don't have to live in hiding. We don't have to cross our fingers just wondering if stuff will go away we can go to God because with him there is grace, forgiveness, 
and redemption. God, God wants us to go to Him not just when things are going well, but also when we blow it or when life is just plain hard. And David shows us how to do this by, by praying to God, by listening to God, and by hoping in God. David begins this psalm by praying, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You know, which is David's way of saying that he is directing his heart and his mind to the Lord, his, his will and his desires, his intellect, but also his situation and his troubles. He, he is offering all of himself up to God in trust. And to say it more plainly still, David is putting his hope in God. And as we'll come to see, that, that's the whole goal of this psalm. And if I can say it this way, that's, that's the whole goal of our faith. Jesus came to restore us to the Father. Jesus came that we might have confidence to hope in God. God wants us to come to him. He wants you and me to pray to him, to cry out to him, to depend on him. Paul says in Romans 8 that God gifts us the Spirit to help us to pray. God helps us to lift our souls to him. And he does this because how, he knows how hard it can be for us to pray, especially when things are challenging. You know, when, when we encounter a distressing situation, do we find ourselves turning to God first? If, if you were to look at the responses uh, uh, to various situations just this past week, would you say that, that praying to God was your first instinct? You know, when the check engine light comes on, when you clock on to that job that you cannot stand, or when you did that thing that you said you weren't going to do anymore. I don't bring these examples up to induce shame, but rather because the way that David responds is easier said than done. And perhaps others of us, some of us need to hear that God even cares about those things at all. Maybe some of us think we should only go to God with the big stuff, you know? But Jesus said that every hair on your head is numbered, that the Father cares about the most minute details of your life, that God will work everything, 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 even, even the small stuff, together for the good of those who love him. You know, all of us, all of us could more and more turn to the Lord, and, and all of us have areas in our life where, where it's hard to lift up our souls to him. If we, if we take a look at our hearts, we might see that our first response is not running toward God, but, but from him. Like Adam and Eve hiding behind the bushes, perhaps for others of us, the challenge isn't turning to the Lord, but it's, it's feeling stuck. We hear David say, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And we believe it, you know, or, or we want to believe it, but we wonder how long we have to wait because the truth is, lifting up our souls to God isn't, isn't magic, you know? It's, it doesn't just fix everything instantly. It is an act of faith. It's a way to remind ourselves that, that God cares for us. It's also a way to receive that care. It's a way to reflect on God's character and His long-term plans and purposes 
in order to live in hope. To lift up our souls to the Lord is, is good for us. Not because God needs it, but, but because God is the only one that can, can bear the weight of our hopes and our longings. You know, to be a human being, to be made in the image of God means not only that we have inherent dignity, which we do, but also that we were made for glory, which we are. You know, you and, you and me, we were made for, for things like delight and joy, laughter and love. We were made for, for wonder and friendship. In the language of our catechism, we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if any of us can even imagine what that means, forever, you know, to, to enjoy Him forever, but that's what we were made for. Endless joy, endless delight. Listen to what David says in verse 13. His soul, you know, the one who trusts in God, the one who hopes in God, his soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. That's the hope that David is clinging to. You know, that's a classic expression of the hope that God gives his people, that they shall dwell in peace in a good land for generations. David is, is opening up his hands and, and he's opening up his heart to God in prayer and he invites us to do the same because God promises that he intends good for us an earthy and an embodied goodness at that. That is our Christian hope. Not only that our humanity and our creation is good in its origin, but that God has done something about it so that you and I will know goodness and beauty and love as it was meant to be. So lifting up our souls, you know, to pray to God is, is a way to strengthen ourselves in hope. Daniel Nairi wrote an autobiography. It's titled, uh, Everything Sad is Untrue. And some of you might guess that that comes from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, which, which is one of Daniel's favorite books. Uh, when Daniel's mother converted to Christianity, uh, they had to flee their home country, and they ended up in Oklahoma as refugees. That title not only encapsulates Daniel's hope, but even more so his mother's. He often reflects on his mom as being unstoppable because he says she, she never stops. She, she learned how to live in hope. And uh, at one point, Daniel is coming to, coming to understand his mother's faith and he, his, her faith, and he asks a probing question. <laughs> And he, he asks it with instructions. You know, he says, he says, be careful with your answer. <laughs> Would you rather a God who listens or a God who speaks? He said, if, if you only have a God who listens, maybe you just want comfort. But if, if you have a God who only speaks, maybe you just want control. He, he adds, in case you didn't know, the answer is both. A, a God should be both. If, if a God isn't, that's, that's no God. And that's the truth. As important as it is to pray to God, it's, it's equally important to listen to God. Because there is a God who is both. Because our God is both, 
we can relate to him as persons. If you look at verse 3, you'll notice a parallel. David says, None who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. David parallels those who wait for the Lord with those who are treacherous. That contrast is, is going to carry us through a majority of this psalm. And so it's worth us spending a few moments thinking about it. David is going to show us what waiting looks like. He, he's going to show us how to not be put to shame. That is how to not be treacherous. And I know that that language uh, makes many of us uncomfortable. So I, I just want to speak to it briefly. That word treacherous is used a handful of times in the Old Testament, and, and it's often in the context of a breach in relationship. It can refer to a breach on, on the horizontal level, right, like human to human, but also on the vertical level, human to God. Malachi sort of bridges the two, the prophet Malachi, uh, that is, when he says this, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we treacherous to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. To try and bring it into language that might be more familiar to you and me, um, God has made known ways to be in this world that are for our good and the good of our neighbors. And David desires to know those ways. David is going to spend the rest of this psalm not thinking about everyone else's behavior or misbehavior Rather, he's going to spend the rest of this psalm asking God to get the treachery out of his own heart. In verse 4, David says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. David shows us a, a humble and teachable spirit. He, he shows us his desire to learn from the Lord and to live in a way that pleases God. Waiting on the Lord, then, is not a, a purely passive lack of activity. It, it looks more like active listening. It, it requires a posture of humility in which we open our ears to receive instruction from outside of ourselves. David lifts up his soul to the Lord, and he opens up his hands to receive instruction and counsel and wisdom. David does not want to just get what he wants. He desires to know the Lord's will. And he desires to do it. David doesn't just want to know it intellectually, but personally. He wants to live a life of integrity. Which is another way of saying that David desires friendship with the Lord. Because waiting on the Lord and listening to the Lord leads to friendship. That's what happens when the treacherous breach is healed. Friendship with the Lord is what David is after. Because it's how David, and by extension people like you and me, can more and more learn to live in hope. Before we discuss what David shows us about a relationship with the Lord, I think it'll be helpful to consider what might make this a challenge for us. You know, if a temptation in praying to God to, and lifting up our souls to Him is, is hiding, then I'd like to suggest that a temptation in listening to God is busyness. Listening to the Lord requires us to slow down. In a way, it's, in that way, it's like any other intimate relationship. But I don't just mean the busyness of our external life, you know, as, as in our pace of life. I mean something more internal. 
a busyness of the soul, a restlessness of the soul. Because busyness isn't just something we do. It's an attempt to try and solve a deep human problem. Busyness is an alternate to listening to the Lord and waiting in hope. And as, as far as alternates go, it can work for a while. But my guess is everyone here also recognizes that it, that it wears us out and it leaves us wanting. Or in the language of our psalm, it, it puts us to shame. But David says, the Lord will never put us to shame. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. The Lord makes himself known to people like you and me, but he never stops being the Lord. Jesus said something very similar to David in John's gospel. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. There is an obedience to friendship with the Lord. But David and Jesus show us that is an obedience that is saturated by grace and motivated by grace. It is not some sort of robotic obedience as if God only spoke. Rather, it's an obedience that helps us to become human again as we listen to God to become the type of people that God desires us to be. Notice some of the things that David says. Remember not the sins of my youth, verse 7, and and pardon my guilt, for it is great, in verse 11, and consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins, in verse 18. David doesn't blame shift. He doesn't get defensive, nor does he busy himself with distractions. He takes a sober look at his own life, and he calls it like he sees it, or better yet, as, as God sees it. But perhaps that, that is somewhat confusing to us here. You know, because if, if the point of this psalm is what waiting really looks like, then why does David spend so much time thinking about his own need of forgiveness? And I think it has something to do with what we already mentioned. David wants to get the treachery out of his own heart. And the way to do that is by not only listening to the Lord's instructions but also listening to his words of forgiveness. Look at those statements again. Remember, remember not the sins of my youth, and pardon my guilt, for it is great, and consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. David isn't just focusing on his sins. He is also asking for mercy the way that we grow in friendship with the Lord, the way that sin's power is more and more weakened in our life is by learning to go to Jesus when we fall short. Because the same Jesus that said, you are my friends if you do what I command you, is the very same Jesus that said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, Jesus is the greater love. He came to our world for that purpose. He came to lay down his life, not so that we might try really, really hard to impress him and become his friends, but rather that his sacrificial love would become the heart of our friendship. There is no busyness of soul like trying to deal with guilt on your own. The friendship of the Lord isn't something you thought you had yesterday, but you're not so sure about today. 
If, if that were the case, then friendship with the Lord might lead to shame. You know, if, if that's what friendship with the Lord meant, then it would just send us back into hiding. David wouldn't be able to confess openly and freely. He would always be looking over his shoulder. No, David is able to name his shortcomings and his sins because he is sure that the Lord will never put him to shame. Do you hear how stunning that is? How freeing that is? That you and I, we don't need to explain away or rename our guilt. What we need is someone to do something about it once and for all. That's why we confess our sins every single week here. We don't do that because God wants to like rub our faces in it. We do it because he gives us the freedom to name those things with the assurance that true forgiveness is ours. That is how God weakens sin's grip in our lives, by meeting us with fresh grace. A dear friend of mine told me a story about a time when, when he received totally undeserved grace. He had just started dating someone, and, uh, and she was the type of girl that he, he had always prayed for, and he, and he hoped to marry one day. But, but like all of us, he, he had issues. And he ended up making a decision that got him in trouble with the law. And he thought that his relationship was over, right? This girl would not want anything to do with a guy like him. And he called up his girlfriend to tell her the news, fully expecting her to end the relationship. And she was upset. And she was confused. And after talking with her mom... She decided to forgive him. And there was something about receiving that forgiveness that weakened the busyness of his own soul. There was a power to her forgiveness that went deeper than, than any of us could imagine. And uh, as you might have guessed, they, they are happily married today. Tim Keller had this saying that, that you and I are more sinful than we ever dared believe, and at the same time, more loved than we could ever dare hope. The truth is, we, we really need a Savior. We really do. Not just on the first day we believe, but, but all the way till our dying breath. To be in a relationship with Jesus is to be secure. And it is that security which creates the context in which we can learn to be honest and we can actually grow and change. Paul says it in Romans 5, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son while we were his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Or as Amy Adams' character says it in Junebug, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. This is what listening to the Lord is all about. It didn't solve David's circumstances. <laughs> It didn't make whatever he was experiencing any less hard. As we'll come to see in just a moment, David ends this psalm without any notes of deliverance or relief. Rather, listening to the Lord allowed his heart 
and his mind to be renewed afresh, that God is good and gracious. That the way God makes known is for our flourishing. That God is rich in mercy. And that he pursues a relationship with people like you and me. We conclude this psalm in much the same way that we started it. There's no aha moment. There's no, and look what God did. Rather, David leaves us in a place of waiting, in a place of hoping. With knowledge and forgiveness, yes, but still waiting. And I think that's instructive for us because many of us here find ourselves in situations where we're waiting. You know, waiting for that glory and that goodness that God promises. That he promises will come to those who love him. Some of us wait with pain in our bodies. Some of us wait with broken or damaged relationships. Some of us wait with desires unmet. Some of us wait with things we we don't even know how to name. In verses 16 through 21, we hear David make personal request after personal request. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Guard my soul and deliver me. To which one commentator writes, Perhaps this psalm is thereby more relevant to those who are are not granted the radiant assurance that breaks out in other psalms. And I think he's right. Because waiting in hope doesn't mean to be artificially happy. I think God has something better for us than that. Something that looks more like a quiet confidence and a steadfastness of purpose. Something like Daniel Neary's mom who was unstoppable. God wants us to hope in him. To become more and more the type of people through whom he can love this broken world. A people who can see the brokenness, yes, but even more the healing on the other side. A people of depth and integrity, of mercy and hope. A people who look and feel and laugh and cry like Jesus. David ends this psalm with redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This psalm that has felt so intimate and personal ends on a communal note. It ends not with individual longing for redemption, but redemption for the whole of God's people. And it's why being part of the church matters. Because hoping in God isn't meant to be a solo sport. David shows us a model prayer. But his ending is meant to key us into something. We need each other. A people with whom we can laugh and cry. A people that welcome babies into the family. And care for those who go on to be with the Lord. That's why we exist. That's why there is this marvelous and messy thing called the church. It's why in a few moments we'll partake of the the bread and the wine, which represents Jesus' body and blood given for the life of the world. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he offered up his soul to God for our healing and our redemption. 
He lifted up his soul in a way that David could only imagine. And so when we take of the bread and the wine, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, which means that we partake of the redemption David prayed for, the redemption Jesus accomplished through his cross and his resurrection and his ascension, the redemption that is waiting on tiptoe to become fully realized forever, a redemption we can experience here and now. We partake of the hopes and the longings that have sustained God's people throughout the centuries. By partaking in faith, no matter how weak or strong, you are hoping in God. Would you pray with me?